Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. You're listening to an irreverent podcast. For more unholy content from our friends, head to irreverent.fm. Hey friends, this is Josie with the Speaking in Church podcast with some news. Um, I mean, I don't know if it's news for anybody, but news on the podcast. Spencer has welcomed her beautiful little boo-boo into the world. Cute little Sloan Olivia Taylor is with us. She was born on the 23rd of December, so she played herself. Only one holiday per December, baby. Sorry about it just kidding she's going to be spoiled by me at the very least so good for her but all that to say spencer's not here she's in mommy mode (laughs) she's busy (laughs) creating uh, a new life for a new life so but today's guest we have our new friend maggie maggie how are you i'm good thank you how are you good how do you pronounce your last name i didn't want to say it wrong Kleppe. <laughs> that's that's my husband's last name. So my um, my Bulgarian uh, maiden name is uh, Dimitrova. <laughs> wow. For Bulgaria, so that was my my previous my maiden name. Yeah. Well, I think yours is cooler, but that's okay. Uh, Kleppe is fine too. It's a beautiful last name as well. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you and congratulations to Spencer. Oh, I know. God bless her. Yeah, I can't wait to hear about all the crying. (laughs) I don't have any kids. I just have a dog. So I feel I'm I'm feeling great about that decision. uh, Most days until I see the pictures of the baby and I'm just like, I want that baby. (laughs) (laughs) All the crying starts uh, in two weeks time as like really small newborn ones. I feel like they're busy sleeping the first two weeks. And then the crying starts at the two week mark somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) So she's still in the grace period right now. Yeah, And uh, love me. I'm so cute, period. Don't eat me, period. (laughs) all that period never stops that's like for the rest of their life they have to be cute because otherwise (laughs) they would be too annoying to keep around (laughs) if they were ugly (laughs) but anyways we were talking a little bit before this about how multicultural you are you live in this beautiful little cornucopia of culture well I guess um, I guess you could say that my background is pretty diverse. I uh, I come from Bulgaria. I grew up there, and uh, when I became 25, I met a beautiful Norwegian blue-eyed boy. Mm. <laughs> Just whisked me away to the far north of Europe. <laughs> Yeah, so, uh, yeah, and pretty much the rest is history. I've lived uh, I've lived in Bulgaria for 25 years and then uh, 13 years in Norway, yes. Wow, do you love the snow? Um, 
I am actually in a town or an area with about too much snow. We're sort <gasps> of, yes, that's a bit strange. Our average temperatures are quite high. Wow. Uh, and we have a lot of rain so where i live um i live on the west coast of norway and it's stunning it's beautiful like all the pictures just imagine the pictures that you have seen it's better than this oh, it's better hell yeah. than the pictures yes <laughs> and we have a lot of a lot of rain sort of like the pacific northwest in the states so we're kind of like the equivalent of the pacific northwest mm, i like it i can live there I hate the snow, so I always wonder if people like it, living in the snow, but you don't have to deal with it, so God bless. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, how fun. I've always wanted to visit Norway. I had a friend who would visit all the time growing up, and she'd show all the pictures and be like, "Mm, gotta go there. You should. You should. My uh, guest room is uh, wonderful and ready. <laughs> I'll take you up on it. Don't don't oh, tempt yeah. me with a good time. I, I am not kidding. <laughs> oh, heck yes. <laughs> See, everybody, this is exactly what I love in life. I used to have a guest room, but I have a couch, so anybody's welcome on it as well. <laughs> How fun. Well, Maggie, uh, tell us all about you and your <laughs> foray into the evangelical world. <laughs> Well, I um, it all started when I was eight, and uh, Bulgaria had just been opened f- to the world. I uh, grew up in a totalitarian regime, sort of, and when I was six, the so-called Iron Curtain in uh, Europe fell, and uh, to, as well as the Berlin Wall, and the USSR got dissolved and a lot of changes happened. And exactly at the time, at this time, uh, evangelicalism basically exploded in Bulgaria. People were so starved for spirituality because because, uh, the communist regime was very restrictive um, on, on religion. And uh, the only religion that could survive was supposed to sort of comply with all the rules of the party and be loyal to the party. And it was pretty, it it was very rough on people who genuinely sought spirituality. So when when the 90s came, um, it really exploded on the streets. Like you, you have this um, enormous revival movements and charismatic churches that popped up around every corner. And my mom was my mom happened to be there. She she had grown up in a in a completely atheist uh, environment. My my grandpa was an active communist, and uh, she was she she was just so sick of it. And uh, she was, in addition to that, a historian that actually got to research some of the things that the Communist Party did, uh, including the Bulgarian KGB, if I should call it that. I will come back to it later because this wasn't sort of, this is also part of evangelicalism in a way. So uh, she was, she sort of realized that the party was not this. uh, benevolent, uh, amazing uh, leadership entity, and uh, found out about people who got poisoned by them, people who were removed, people who were sent to concentration camps, and so she was pretty much disillusioned with the this 
um, communist ideal that was pushed down people's throats all the time. And so when 1989 came, she was more than ready to just explore everything and anything, and especially spirituality. So this is how it all started. She ended up in a in a large crowd of people on the streets of Bulgaria. And I I was with her for some reason. She she dragged me with her, eight years old. And there was this preacher. I didn't, I, I can't even remember who that was, but I remember both Bulgarian and American preachers being there. And I guess, and I got saved on um on this huge large meeting. Uh, where Robert Slearden, uh, you might have heard that name. I haven't, but I'm curious. Oh, you haven't? Oh, yeah. He was a big name in the 90s. I was in uh, the Latin evangelical church, so things kind of get a little bit mixed up for me, you know? All right. Okay. I like know Billy Graham, but that's because Billy Graham was like the end all be all but all the little people i'm like i don't know i was i was sheltered from that from not speaking english but all right yeah yeah well yeah but i got saved at a meeting with him i remember and this is how the whole journey started basically and um my family was sort of divided uh my dad was never interested in the religious stuff but my grandma was so it was me mom and grandma who went to church for many years and unfortunately for me my mom read uh robert slearden's books where he basically was telling about his own upbringing and how his mom uh set a clock next to next to them and made him pray and read the bible every evening for a certain amount of time like a, an hour so she made me do that oh god like every every single evening like for periods of time and she was very like from being a devoted communist she she became a very devoted uh, evangelical and of course she was convinced that she would not allow her daughter to go to hell so i was supposed i was supposed to become a, a good evangelical girl myself so yeah <laughs> so this is how it all started and my memories of that time are not particularly great because i had to read this uh, very old translation of, of a bulgarian bible that was hard really tough to read like i couldn't even understand it but i was mm. supposed to read it so i did <laughs> yeah <laughs> i feel that i the king james bible uh the new king james bible is very hard to read in english and then in Spanish, they have like the old Spanish kind of one Bible, and that's impossible for me to read just because, I mean, I speak ghetto ass Spanish. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's it's really bad actually. <laughs> so like I read this and I'm like, I don't understand this. I don't get it, Dad, help me. <laughs> oh, so sad. <laughs> well, but I, get I, it. Did, I did have, um, I did have a children's Bible, of course, with a picture and this was I loved it I remember reading it and of course there was a lot of weird stuff there but I, I would just accept it for what it is and it was the word of God and 
I felt like being saved. I had I had gotten this new um, new beginning. It's it sounds weird to talk about about it like this at eight years old, but mm. I I remember asking myself the questions about you know what would happen to me when I die, and these things were really scary to me to think about it that I would just poof and disappear, and that. And those things were so scary that when I heard the fairy tale for the first time, this was like, oh my gosh, I, I love this. I'm going to live forever and be with Jesus. And like, this was the, the answer that I had been, the comfort that I had been seeking as an eight-year-old. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Where are you now with evangelicalism? Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're on this podcast, first of all. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I, it's hard to say, really. Um, my students are trying to ask me because I teach this philosophy class at school. I'm an elementary teacher here in Norway. So my, my kids normally, I, I have some uh, evangelical kids in, in my class, so... They often ask me, yeah, but Maggie, are you, are you Christian? And I was like, I'm, I always tell them, you know, I think I should be allowed to say that I don't know. Yeah. Because <laughs> an atheist, like if you, if you take the word atheist or the Dawkins scale, I guess I'm a five or a six, which is quite far from what I used to be. Mm -hmm. So, <laughs> yeah, I guess I'm somewhere there at this point when it comes to spirituality yeah i feel that did you have like a um, a lot of us have like these really gnarly fallouts with the church right we have these really traumatic events and some of us just kind of learn and grow and realize that it just wasn't for us what was it for you for me it actually started well i've never really been a good christian girl in the full sense of the word for some mm, reason me neither people, people perceived me yeah i heard you were the one with the questions mm -hmm. and i was i was the one with the opinions with the weird opinions mm -hmm. and and people didn't like that around me like i remember being 16 and having nobody in my church at, that was my age and all of these older like 20 somethings were like you're so not serious with the with the word of god why you're questioning it why why are why are you saying this and that and 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 they sort of i, I felt kind of judged all the time even though I, I didn't really say anything like scandalous i was just hey you guys are taking yourselves way too seriously mm -hmm. <laughs> and they would they would react like in a in a strange way you know some of my friends there and um but uh, what happened was there were a few things that were bothering me um, in like as early as 11. When I was 11, something happened to me. Um, it, I was, I wasn't, I guess you couldn't call it sexual assault, but in a way it was. I mean, it didn't have any serious consequences for me, but um, that sort of made me very protective of my body and mm. very aware of my sexuality and my, my boundaries as a person. And so when this happened, I had this, I had, luckily I could process the trauma quite 
early and the church was part of it actually i i got to a point where i could just cry about it and of course i thought i had experienced the love of god and god came into my heart and healed me and i was totally convinced for many years that god did it directly because this is how it felt physically like i had one of these you know spiritual experiences that really shatter you that leave you just amazed by the love of god and and i was convinced that i that i experienced him and that i would become uh, that i would be a devoted christian for the rest of my life and i was sincere in my beliefs even though i had like i i commented on things around the church or was teasing my friends there but i really was sincere but then then after this i was very aware of my boundaries of some of my where i start and other people begin and so there was a few things in the theology that i just couldn't reconcile with my logic with my own logic and one of these things was the idea that my body doesn't belong to me and that now it belongs to god it's a temple of, of the holy spirit or whatever and then when i got married my body would belong to my husband so mm. this was really bothering me for some reason it was like hey this this doesn't sound good to me like it doesn't feel right why does my body have to belong to somebody else you know mm-hmm. to another person and i don't even know who my husband is going to be you know i was like 20 something and thinking about it i don't even know this guy most of the guys i knew even the evangelical ones were not virgins they mm-hmm. were not mm-hmm. <laughs> so even even though some of them tried to uh, you know, lived by the the purity standards at the time. And there was a lot of churches around me where were very much immersed into purity culture. I had read Joshua Harris's books, both of them. Oof. In the beginning, in the beginning of the two thousands, I kid you not, I read them in English. Mm. Yes, and so <clears throat> I'm sorry, and um. And so I was very much aware of what the standard is and, and the shame around sexuality and, you know, being a sexual being. And the other thing that was a huge issue for me all the time was the sort of that in the more charismatic uh, churches, there was this thing where, especially in my church, because my church was sort of extreme, I could, I guess, compare to a cult, compared to other, you know, evangelical Pentecostal uh, denominations, because there was like a very strong, uh, you know, um, was really dependent on the charisma of a single person. And a pers- yes. Mm-hmm. And it was very not transparent like that person was the end all and be all of everything he Mm. called himself an apostle he's currently living in the states with his family and he's a an avid trump supporter figures Very very fanatic at that and so what happened was in this in my church as an extremely charismatic church was that people believed in you know the holy spirit and exorcism and demons and spiritual warfare intercession those things 
And so what happened was that I was told that my body was a temple of the Holy Spirit, but then I was I could also be possessed by demons that had to be exercised. And so this was very hard for me to understand. How am I a vessel of the Holy Spirit and have demons at the same time? Mm-hmm. And I'm constantly in a, in danger of losing my salvation. I constantly live with this idea that oh, I'm not in peace with God. I did this and I did that. And I had these thoughts and I, I, you know, and I, I was, I was constantly afraid that if I die today, I'm definitely not going to heaven because of my demons, because of my sin, because of, you know, all of these things. Mm. So at some point this was like, this I, I i started realizing that and i think these two uh the these two aspects of the theology i grew up with was were the main reasons why i i sort of left yes i didn't I, yeah i did leave <laughs> i feel it's funny how people think like say these things like oh well it's not the church's fault that people hurt you or whatever right but then i hear like i'm listening to all the evangelical um charismatic things that you're talking about and i'm like this is exactly what i grew up in like how are you gonna say oh it's not the church when we had the same traumas from a across the world sounds like there's an issue in the church if people can be traumatized in very similar ways in very different parts of the world because it's the same church yes it is the same model it's Mm -hmm. the same marketing strategies if you if you can call if you could call it that because Mm -hmm. you have this charismatic leader who was basically elevated to a cult leader. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you were not allowed to question him or his theology. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was married to an American woman. Um, he was 19 when he got married and they founded the church when he was 20 or something. They were Aye. super young. Mm-hmm. He was a bit older. And he was also part of a, of a movement where like, there were other, others like him who did exactly the same, who married a, like a, a little bit slightly older American woman. And it was basically the America where the entire influence of the church came, like the theologies and the, you know, everything and the, the model, the leadership, the, um, you know, how things worked at church, the higher, uh, higher case, they were they were pretty pretty similar to what I heard evangelical churches are in yeah. the states. Yeah. It's true. I mean, it's funny when you talk about the demons and stuff. My dad would always like tell me like, "Oh, you have to be careful. Like, spiritual warfare is real." And then I don't know what it was. I was so obstinate, and I still am very obstinate actually. Um, but my dad was like saying all these things, and then. I would say, I thought that if I was saved, nobody could touch me. I thought that was the whole point. I thought that I was, you know, uh, baptized in the name of the Lord. And so now ain't nobody can touch me or whatever. But now you're saying that a demon can enter me without my permission. I don't think so. And so just (laughs) to this day, I mean, my parents are still very like believers in demonic possession 
and I'm just like, well, they can't touch me because, um, first of all, I'm not scared. And second of all, I thought that, you know, Jesus was protecting me or whatever. So sounds like I don't have to worry about it, mom and dad. But those things were more or less were were influencing us on a subconscious level mm-hmm. uh, i remember i remember my friends were basically raised with shame mm. especially when it comes to sexual things and mm-hmm. i i was i was lucky to be able to part of the youth um group of another church because like i said my church didn't have people that were teenagers at the same time mm-hmm. as as this uh, as me most of them were were a bit older than me so i went to the youth uh, meetings in this other church and they were very, incredibly nice to me i had a wonderful time wonderful friends there uh, my parents were completely at ease uh, just sending me on travels on parties with them because they knew that there would be no alcohol and no drugs and no you know other illegal mm-hmm. stuff and and it was it was it was a beautiful experience in many ways um that i that i was there because that church was very artsy they were basically patrons of the arts uh, mm. uh like the the pastor's wife there was like really fostering an environment with a lot of music and they they did plays they did dancing people started studying you know in a drama school and it was a pretty big deal and i was really attracted to this um uh, to this environment where music and art was a big deal and it gave me sort of a break of of my church where everything was about spiritual warfare and demons and you know all the dry stuff and all the history hysterical stuff and if i can call it that <laughs> but then again when i went to to their youth meetings the shame was used as a tool to make people to make kids feel bad about themselves mm-hmm. and you know the especially i i especially felt bad for boys because everybody knew that boys were sexual beings and all they could think about as teens is sex and they were basically mm-hmm. telling them if you do that you have demons if you do that you're impure and this didn't sit well with me i just remember seeing one of my friends like an amazing beautiful boy he was i think 13 or 14 at the time his heart was breaking when he listened to these things like you have to change you have to do this you have to do that like he would he would go on you know they would do these altar calls all the time and he would be there crying like with his heart broken every time like how many times are we supposed to do this Mm -hmm. how many times are we supposed to get saved why is my salvation conditional and this this boy could couldn't take it anymore he left and we lost contact with him and this was a really sad thing uh, like in my head that something as natural as your own sexuality even Mm. like you're not going out you know sleeping around with with people you're just being with yourself for crying out loud and 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 this is wrong uh like this this was just not okay in my head even then even when i was at my most devoted yeah i totally agree i mean it's funny how salvation is so fragile when they preach it to be so permanent yes Mm. Mm. 
But I am loving your story, mostly because I am a history nerd. So hearing that you lived through the fall of the USSR is crazy. Um, I love it. Also, I feel like very much a heathen because my favorite Beatles song is back in the USSR. (laughs) And it wasn't until because I liked it as a kid. And then it wasn't until I was in like American history class. I was like, oh, my God. I'm a terrible person. But all that to say, um, it totally makes sense to me that after such like a monumental point in history that then evangelicalism would have such a huge like bait and switch type of appeal in that like area of the world because you're so repressed in one way and then you have to like pendulum swings yes but then you're still kind of repressed so it still feels kind of comfy and cozy yeah you know (laughs) that's a a good way of putting it absolutely (laughs) yeah you're a little bit more free especially with the charismatics but then it's still like okay but i have rules okay great great thanks for the rules thank you so much pastor (laughs) no but i mean another thing that they used was this idea that you had to be accountable Mm. that's the that was the double standard like for leaders they could they could have finances financial issues that they would not uh, that would keep away from the public Mm -hmm. Uh, like of course there were financial like abuses in those in those churches oh yeah there was there were there were many uh like donations that we made you know for buildings and Mm. projects that we never never saw exact same thing with us what the heck (laughs) and they and they never we never really got an explanation what happened to this money you never got an explanation where the money where's the building like Mm -hmm. there was this huge i remember hearing about this huge solomon project Mm. they were supposed to build a mega church well that person is in the states now with his wife and kid and and the church is there another pastor took over but then nobody knows what happened to this project and the same thing happened to my church i heard about some uh, some financial stuff uh, especially in, in like the past 5 years that my mom felt like really discredited the the leadership and before i lost my mom 4 years ago she uh, she told me something she confided in me and she was like yeah you know what i just heard that one of the pastors had been um had been on a trip to singapore and he was telling us about all the cool places that he saw there and we have people that are that are basically starving in the winter like bulgaria Mm. is a member of the european union but there's still a lot of poverty so Mm -hmm. she knew people that were basically poor they didn't have they didn't even have uh, money to pay their electricity bills or they didn't have to they didn't have enough food in their houses so my mom was like so you know what i did i stopped tithing I was like, what? Mm-hmm. Stop tithing? You've been tithing for 20 years. What's wrong with you, woman? What's happening in your head? And she was like, instead of tithing, I'm just giving the money to my friends who need it. Mm. Yes, I mom. Like, I, I like she was she was like, you know, I would I would rather feed my friend. And I think God would be much like 
much happier with that sacrifice than you know feeding those guys that are bragging with their trips to singapore and 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 their you know designer clothes and because you know there there was this clique of leaders that were very cool at the Mm. time and uh they had more money compared to some like a lot of people like the focus was wrong at, at times of course um we got a lot of help, especially throughout the 90s, because 90s were very turbulent. Like, we didn't always have, have enough food. It was kind of unstable in Bulgaria. Mm. I was never hungry or anything, but um, I mean, in, in a way, American culture and Americans helped us in um you know, many material ways, like with food and clothes for the people who need it. But of course, we got the toxic stuff Mm. within the (laughs) theology. Yes, I 100% blame America for its evangelical influence and in Europe. Yes, it's... (sighs) It's the worst. America sucks. I'm so sorry we did that to you. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, like in my head, when when I think about it, uh, you talk about religious trauma. Yes, I'm sure a lot of people experienced religious trauma. In my case, I don't know if I could call it that because, I, like, it's not just a negative thing. My my evangelical upbringing had a lot of positive aspects. Oh yeah, uh, and like especially that community that. Mm-hmm. And I think kids outside of the church really need that. I see it with Norwegian kids here. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of them are lonely. They feel vulnerable. They are way too focused on on themselves. Mm -hmm. Uh, Whereas the evangelical kids, because there are evangelical churches in Norway as well, and I know quite a few evangelical kids here, they they have something larger to think about than Mm -hmm. themselves. And as much as I do not agree with with a lot of things uh, within that movement, I feel like their teen years are going to be quite fun, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, it was fun. Yeah, it was fun. Like all the music, all the friends, all the, Mm -hmm. you know, all the summer camps uh, we did all this in bulgaria as well we had that and mm-hmm. it was it was a blast and one of the spiciest stories was and then we go back to the to the toxic stuff mm-hmm. <laughs> was we witnessed uh, a wedding we we were witnesses at a wedding or i mean we, we just happened to be there and that couple decided that they would get married within that tent it was a summer camp and so the pastor asked the guy like before he asked whether he would like to marry that woman he was like and did you too engage in any sexual activities before your marriage i was i was standing there now in shock i was this was the cringiest one of the cringiest moments in my life hands down because Mm-mm. it was so humiliating like they were they were supposed to be married in front of all these people and he chooses that moment to ask them that question and, and the reason he did that was not yeah of course he probably didn't mean to humiliate them nevertheless he did but the reason for this was to basically intimidate all those teen kids mm-hmm and make them think twice before they do anything 
or else they make it, they might get asked and everybody's going to know and they're going to be embarrassed in front of all of these people. And <sighs> uh, this was the cring- one of the cringiest things. And this was not the only instance of humili- public humiliation of people who crossed that line. And it was mostly, you know, because these things happened. Mm. People had sex, for crying out loud. Mm-hmm. And, and it always happened when somebody had gotten pregnant. So they couldn't hide it anymore. They would even put those people on stage in front of everyone to see. That was just horrible. Why? Oh, gosh. Yeah, it's it's an unfortunate double-edged sword because I do feel like there's a huge group of kids that won't be able to... I mean, for me growing up, I was always involved in music. And I think like, oh, wow, there's so many kids in the world whose parents were so harmed by the evangelical church that they can't go back. And now these kids won't have the same like musical opportunities because they won't get to be in the little worship band or they won't get to do this or like all these fun little things. And it's unfortunate and you could definitely make up for it. But it is. Yeah, it does suck that it sucks that there were good parts. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. Because you can't hate on all of it if there are some good parts. Of course, there are good parts. It's it's so like the reason why I speak English now is because because of evangelicalism. Uh, mm. I have I have been in contact with foreigners since I was a kid, basically, and listening to a lot of uh, sermons in English. And when I was nineteen, a miracle happened. I got a job at an American school in Sofia, and I was one of the few people at the time. This was back in in the beginning of two thousand and two, where I could speak English, and it was it was hard to find people who who did in Bulgaria at the time. It's quite different now, but yeah, and and it was an American school, a Christian school, and I got to develop my 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 language. I got to meet people from all around the world because that school grew, and uh, at some point we had uh, it became a large private school where like kids of diplomats and businessmen uh, went to and it was it was an incredible um, it was an incredible environment to work in I worked there for almost seven years wow actually and uh, and it was founded by um, uh, the leader of um or the founder of family christian center mm. in chicago mm-hmm. uh, uh, bishop frank muncie mm-hmm. and he was an incredible person him and his wife uh mrs ruth she was she was amazing they taught me so much and they they gave me so much of of their experience and of just a lot of culture a lot of opportunity a lot of grace and I I couldn't be I couldn't be anything but thankful for for those years there because they really gave me a lot yeah they did yeah oh that's amazing I have a question now I mean I have a lot of questions but this is my next question I know that Norway has um, the reputation of being kind of like not into religion as a whole. Like there's just, you know, movements of people who don't like religion. And I have a cousin who's into heavy metal music. And, you know, I know the whole Norwegian scene is a little crazy with the church burning or whatever. Uh, <laughs> that's what I'm talking oh, about. Yeah, but. We're, getting to the, we're getting to the fun part now. <laughs> but all that to say is like how... 
I always am so curious how different people of the world view American evangelicals. Like, how do people in Norway view, especially right now in America, how do they view us now? <laughs> well, <clears throat> sorry. Um, well, I was I was a bit surprised to find out that no, yes, Norway is quite uh, liberal when it comes to politics mm-hmm. and quite atheist in many ways. Like there's a there's a you know separation of church and state. Even though we have some parties in Parliament that are a bit more religious, but Norway has its own Bible Belt. Ooh. Yes, you heard that right. Mm. <laughs> we have our own Bible Belt here, and mostly people are basically saying, "Okay, we do not really agree with those people, but let them practice their religion freely, unless there's anything, you know, toxic or financial abuse or sexual abuse going on. We're not, we're not gonna bother you too much." Of course, there were a few documentaries that criticized a few of these uh, churches here uh, because there were a few charismatic uh, charismatic movements that you know made waves in the 90s uh, but but mostly people are basically very laid back when it comes to those things there I, I wouldn't say that they're hostile I mean the true burnings in the 90s were one thing uh, like my husband is sort of like a metal dude and you know has <laughs> black metal you know t-shirts but <laughs> but no I mean he's not he's not a dark you know he's not burning down churches <laughs> no he's not burning down churches no, no. he's a he's a nerd he's just a nerd oh, <laughs> we love to it to, <laughs> to play his games and just be left alone and yeah yeah <laughs> Well, he is quite critical towards religion, and that's um, this. This is kind of funny that I that I ended up with being with him because when when I met him in two thousand eight, uh, I was still religious, very mm-hmm. much religious, and so when I met him, he was basically um, my dream guy. Like I saw him, and I was like that's it that's the one and five five about five months after like six months after we met each other online i moved to norway he had been to bulgaria visited visited and traveled a little bit with me and he got to see he got to meet my parents even and that i thought was quite a (laughs) a brave thing to do Uh, so i moved to norway and i was you know I was just wondering, God, why? Why did I meet this black metal Norwegian dude that is my dream guy? Why am I so happy? Why does this feel so right? And he 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 was opposed to religion. I mean, he's very critical of religion. He is, and he still is. Mm. But he was he he was always so respectful mm. of of me and and my religion this was never really an issue between us and so um so i don't let him take credit for my (laughs) deconstruction (laughs) yeah (laughs) because he was quite he was quite careful like with the things he said he never wanted to insult me like and and so all of these you know warnings about don't don't get near any 
um, like non-believer. You should mm-hmm. not get married. You should not marry a non-believer. You shouldn't have anything to do with them. Like this was like it didn't make sense. Why? Why did it feel so right? And why was I so happy? Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like at the time, I was I I, be, I was just trusting my intuition. Mm-hmm. And this was not a this was not a thing in our communities. I knew like we were constantly warned against trusting our feelings, mm-hmm. you know, because the heart is deceitful and all of these things. Not trust you shouldn't trust your feelings. This was a constant warning all yep. the time. And so I knew all these girls who got married, but with you know, with Christian men, and their marriages were disasters basically yep. oh just just horrible things happened and it mm-hmm. was exactly because they they did not trust their intuitions yep they they were just told not to not to trust their feelings they they even trained themselves to ignore red flags mm-hmm. like the only thing that mattered was that these men were christian they were spiritual that maybe they had some kind of position in church or something but even the ones with the positions turned out rotten mm-hmm. and this was so strange to me and so when i met my my now husband i was shocked how good this felt this relationship felt and i was like i don't care i just i i just want to be with somebody kind somebody who who respects me and he helped me so much at the time you know finding a job you know feeding me for a while before i started you know (laughs) earning my own money and it's just it was it just didn't make sense all of these warnings and and the things that i was experiencing and at some point i just i just decided okay that this is how it's going to be um I am, I'm not leaving this guy and I don't care what people say. They can say anything they want. He may be wearing all the black metal shirts that he's wearing, but that's my guy and it's, it feels right. And I'm just doing this. I'm, I'm going to be with him. I never had a shadow of a doubt and it turned out great. I mean, 14 years together almost and a kid. So it's going pretty well. I'm so happy about trusting my my gut and not ignoring red flags because there were a lot of guys around me with red flags. Yeah. A lot of them. Quite a few. Both in and out of church. Yeah, I agree. There's lots of lots of people that lots of people wanted me to date. And I was like, mm. I'm good. I'm okay. And then I met the and then I met the guy that I currently have this messy room with. <laughs> Nobody people in the podcast you can't see it, but my room is oh very messy. Um, but I share this very messy room with a very wonderful man, um, whom I broke all the rules with. <laughs> so it works out in the end, friends. Trust your gut. Trust the red flags. Trust your intuition. But Maggie, it's been great to have you. Your story is so great i mean i i'm like nerding out because i just love i love different parts of the world and learning about different things and i'm sure our listeners do too so yeah i mean do, is there is there anything you want to plug do you want the people to find you on instagram do you want to be instagram famous do you have a favorite charity whatever you want anything <laughs> oh well uh, well my instagram is quite private but if if uh anyone wants to talk or send me a dm i guess they could they could they could send me a message on instagram it's just maggie Pleppe. 
with with a period with a dot between <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> yeah so yeah but i mean yeah the thing is i uh the one thing i people don't people don't realize about different cultures is how much we how much we misunderstand and how much our imagination just fills out with the wrong information, the wrong ideas about mm -hmm. things and stereotypes and about how Norway is and how Bulgaria is and how America is. And I, I just wish, I just wish people would, would just uh, <sighs> do the research. Yep. Yes. And not just use those stereotypes to, pit each other against each other <laughs> yep i agree i agree learn from each other friends uh well maggie you're welcome to come back anytime if anything super big happens or if you just want to talk again we're open maybe when spencer's back we can do another episode Ooh, have fun yeah but that would be good yeah all right friends well as always you can find speaking at church at speaking in church on instagram uh you can find us on twitter at speaking church you can find me at josie takes the world and spencer at spence rose uh she has some pictures of the baby on there i think so go check them out um for all the baby content i'll be stalking spencer all the time and, and as always stay woke or get woke and jesus loves you catch you next time This has been an Irreverent Media Podcast. Are you itching for a good story? Laughter among friends, maybe even a mystery or two? Well, you're in luck. Fire Breathing Kittens is a standalone Dungeons & Dragons podcast. Each episode is a separate three-hour-long story, like a movie for your ears, so you can listen to these adventures in any order you like. So join us on a real play D&D quest as we solve mysteries, attempt comedic banter, and enjoy friendship. Fire Breathing Kittens podcast, fantasy action, mystery, friendship.